Hello, everyone. My name is Suki Thompson. Welcome to Reset, the podcast, a place for you to get some inspiration and advice to help you live a more fulfilling work life. I do hope that your journey to feel more connected, more inspired, just a bit more energized starts here. Take a moment now with me to reset. This week on Reset the Podcast, we have the wonderfully energetic Catherine Jacob OBE. She's the CEO of Pearl and Dean. In our podcast, we talk about being a woman in the workplace. Catherine and I discuss some of the stories of sexism we faced when we first started as young women in a pretty tough industry. We reflect on the weird environments we walked into, the discrimination we faced based on our sex and the dog-eat-dog nature of the media world. She empowers us all, I think, by reminding us to assert our dominance and speak up when we feel something is wrong or someone is mistreating us or those around us. Catherine shares with me how her team at Pearl and Dean find their rhythm working together and learn to be the very best version of themselves. She tells me how she creates a culture of openness and support to ensure her team always feel confident, inspired, and motivated to work together, and how important collective responsibility is when encouraging people to work to their very best of their ability. We finally take a moment to talk about weakness and why we shouldn't be scared of showing this. Weakness, she says, is just a development area for all of us. We can all learn from it. Without weakness, we cannot have strength. I hope you enjoy the show, and if you do, please do like, follow us, and let us know what you think. It makes all the difference. Catherine, how are you today? I am very well, lovely Suki, and it's lovely to see your face after your holiday. Makes me happy. Oh, it is lovely to see your face. Actually, I'm very pleased I'm seeing your face because I did nearly get eaten by a hyena on my holiday but that is a conversation for me have a drink another time oh okay didn't put that on your on your no, social media I haven't put that on my social no. media might do probably exactly. a bit busy trying to being avoid being eaten by the hyena to stop yeah. and go could you just stay for a photo thanks yeah well do you yeah. know exactly jazz jazz afterwards was like oh man it's such a shame I didn't have the camera it would have been so funny to film you <laughs> thanks yeah great yeah. Anyway, well, you know the first question I'm going to ask you because we ask it um, at the beginning of lots of our workshops and often when uh, when I'm on stage and you've done both of those. So, Catherine, on a scale of one to ten, how energised do you feel today? Nine. Oh, I thought it might be high. Um, tell me why it's a nine. Uh, I've had a lovely lo- long bank holiday weekend seeing uh, my family and having some nice downtime. And uh, I've come back to work on a Tuesday with my lovely P&D gang. And there's lots to do and everyone's pretty chirpy. We finish work at lunchtime on Friday because it's the last bank holiday of the weekend. So we always finish at lunchtime every bank holiday so people can go into their bank holiday, you know, having a bit of extra time. And um, yeah, 
so we always do that because if you you know it's that thing when you're working if you've got family who are a long way away it's like you Cornwall if you finish at half five you're never going to get to Cornwall until well you won't you have to go on Saturday which is one of your days gone yeah and so let people go early yeah you're so right we did that this year and actually it made such a big difference brilliant it's brilliant thing to do so I will definitely make sure we do it um every time I think it's brilliant it's brilliant idea and it's so easy, isn't it? You know, it's, it's half a day. Yeah, and it's half like, a day. Oh, and no one's around anyway. No. It's August and no one's around anyway. So, yeah. Exactly. Um, so, Catherine, we're going to talk about lots of things. but And I've known you quite a long time. Yes. And, you know, and I think if I think about three words to describe you, I would say unbelievably driven to make in brackets, to make a difference. Secondly, compassionate. And thirdly, I'm not sure I should say nickel wettingly, but <laughs> in brackets, funny, because you are really funny. And there aren't that many women who are really funny. But I wanted to start um, by that first part, which is I've always known you, reflecting on your you currently do with your life but certainly what you've done in the last 20 years of your career and we'll cover quite a lot of these things where did it start this kind of passion for equality inclusion fairness if you like was that was that with you as a young child yes um so my uh grandfather was a methodist minister right and um which is quite interesting and um, so there was quite a lot of things about you have to you have to be nice. You know, you're only as good as the last good thing you did mm-hmm. and uh, looking after other people and all of that kind of thing was quite um, inculcate. I mean, not in a sort of preachy way. Mm-hmm. It's just the way, the way that our family was. And then and then when I. And then you just kind of get to this realization, don't you, that which is actually life isn't always fair and um, that you it's up to you to to try and help people as much as you can. And you and I have known each other a long time. When you if you, when you and I look back at when we first met each other, how many fabulous women are there that you and I would even now go, I'd love to work with them. And they've just they just disappeared because the system didn't work for them. Yeah. And, you know, you have to have a drive to, to stick at it, you know, um, when you've got that horrible guilt thing, which is, you know, your child's turned up with the wrong colour tights at the nativity play because you're a bad working mother or you failed to make a sheep costume or something like that, you know, surround. Yeah. So I think it, I think it's, I think it's um, familial from my family and I think it's a sense of things not being right and wanting to and wanting to make things right and when you're younger you're not in a position to do that all you do is moan a bit and go and have a glass of white wine with your friend and say Suki do you think it's completely fair that so-and-so is judged completely differently to x and you say yes and what can we do about it nothing there's a bit of that so when you've got influence or or I don't think I'm powerful, but if you've got any soft power, use that. And then, as you know, I've known Sue for a really long time and she is the yin to my yang. And um, she and I have always had that same same thought. 
and uh, so we kind of join forces together and she's you know so I've been lucky that the past however long seven years we've kind of been together writing books and giving talks and telling women not to put up with stuff and also telling people that they've got a mission to be that they are powerful that you can lead from every seat yeah yeah I mean you talk about this in your first book Glass Wall you talk about um, you know lots of situations actually of women and some really good tips for helping women as well do you have a moment when you reflect back in the because you you know you've been in media and in that very, very tough side of media that was so male dominated. Uh, you know, I remember when I started at BNP, literally going into the media department and the young men standing on the desks and shouting and wolf whistling at me as I was walking to my seat. And I, I was, I was literally utterly, utterly horrified. But you were in that industry for a long time. I just, you know, crept in and moved out very, very quickly. <laughs> oh, you're you're too civilized. Yeah. Oh, I was too scared. Um, but was there a moment where you where you went, okay, this is definitely unacceptable, and when I'm in a position to change, I will change this. Oh, there's lots of things that are unacceptable. I mean, yeah. Um, <sighs> female reps being graded on how attractive they were. Yeah. Um, you know, um, with with kind of like a chart on the wall, you know, with points. Um, I remember doing a negotiation with someone, and I think I've told you this story, with someone who, because I wouldn't give him the rate that he wanted, he told me I was frigid because and the reason why I wasn't giving him the rate that he needed to have was because um, I wasn't getting any, or if I was getting any, except it was in a slightly more graphic form and um, I wasn't being it I wasn't getting it frequently enough or hard enough so I put the phone down on him so I said I'm really sorry if this is the level that you've got to that you're having to resort to talking about my sex life I'm going to put the phone down now and I just knew it was one of those ones where he got me on speakerphone it was the afternoon he'd had a couple of drinks in the pub and he was going I'm going to give her a bit of you know see what she says and you know you just have to go Mm. 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 okay right I'm going to put the phone down now because you got to this level and I was very lucky I had a very uh fabulous male boss at the time who phoned up the head of buying and said I've just witnessed a conversation that one of your people has had with Catherine and he needs to ring up and apologize within the next 15 minutes and send her the biggest bunch of flowers ever. Otherwise, we're not going to, we're going to write to your clients and describe how he talked to her. Wow. And did he do it? Within 15 minutes. And I got a huge bunch of flowers the next day. And it is the thing, but it's, it's difficult. I'm, you know, I'm quite um, assertive. And if I hadn't been like that in that call, that could have been just, Oh, yeah. you know horrific yeah. and you just have and, and being and I have to say being funny helps you know were you funny as a child were your, were your family I have no idea no all my family are funny but it is oh. that thing which is you know you could always turn around and you know and turn around and say, you know 
turn around and say things like, if people give you a bit of banter, say, oh, right, it's interesting that you're talking about all of this because all of the secretaries say you've got a really tiny penis. All the secretaries who've slept with you say you've, in the agency say you've got a really tiny penis. Sorry. But, you know, it is that thing where you go, that's really funny. Everyone says you've got a really tiny penis. See, that's so brilliant because I would never say that. But after No, I know because you're so polite. No, it's not even that. I just don't even think of it. But that is... But that is genius, isn't it? And that yeah. is the sort of things I should have, I definitely yeah. should have said all those years ago. Um, but, and then, so you kind of went... Because through- then if you're funny yes. and people around them laugh, yes. Yes. what do they say? You're not funny. Well, everyone else thinks I'm funny. Yeah, and yeah. you are funny. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, so because the other thing that struck me is, you know, you are absolutely one of the championing women, one in, certainly in the industry, but in business. You've written, as you said, these books. Um, and I kind of, and you've been brilliant at Wackle, but I, I have found in the past some of the women who have been trailblazers like you have been a bit scary. And you, for me, are one of those people who are very firm, very clear, but not scary. And and I wonder if that's one of the reasons, maybe it is your humour as well, that you have been so successful. Um, Well, I think you don't think I'm scary because you're my friend and you've known me a long time. So I think if you were scared of me after our 20 years of friendship, that would be really weird, Suki, (laughs) wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, really, be, yeah, yeah I'm only be. a friend with her because I think if I stop being her friend, she'll kill me. <laughs> she'll set a hyena on me. Um, she'll train a hyena to kill me. Um, I, th- I, think some, I think some people find my firmness and directness scary. Um, I know they do. And, and, and so you have to kind of soften that. So, yeah, but, but you have to contextualise all those women who feel scary. What environment were they working in? Was the only way that they could survive that environment, that culture, Suki, was by being scary because then no one gave them a hard time. You know, you look at, you know, you look at the environment that, that some women work in and it's, it's not a supportive environment. It's not, it's not a healthy environment. It's dog eat dog. Um, you know, it's it's everyone for themselves. And that's the kind of the behavior that happens. And I think that's why people become scary is because there's no other way to operate. They don't understand any other way to operate, because if you weren't that. You'd just be in the mince run out. Yeah. And, and look, and that is what we do. And we and you're right. It's absolutely the case, and it is what we still see. And so I think your second book, Belonging, which is, you know, a little bit around diversity and inclusion and some of those, and we'll come on and talk about that specifically, but actually for me feels much more around that. How do we create that culture of belonging? How do we create a culture where people feel included, feel valued, and therefore don't necessarily have to behave in some of those ways? Because you're right, I still see you all the time environments where people are fundamentally not very happy and therefore probably not very nice and and probably outside work they are quite nice yeah but it's like you have to put your work face on yeah so you're really lovely from six o'clock on a Friday until 
nine o'clock on a Monday. And then on a Monday you go in and you have to put your, you know, your game face on because that's just the way that you have to be. And then you end up with all those issues around well-being, which is your two separate people. You know, you've got a work person and a, and a real person. And that's so much effort, isn't it? Just think if we spent all that effort actually doing our jobs properly rather than, you know, pretending. Yeah. That would be so much more um, healthy for both the, the organisations and for them as individuals. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, how you do that and maybe look at some of the things that you do at Pearl and Dean because I think one of the things, what, what really struck me when we did a bit of work with your team was this sense, actually this sense of belonging that they've got. And that's not to say, because I think one of the things that I hear a lot from senior leaders is if we start listening to people, if we create an open culture, does that mean we're kind of weak and we have to be a bit too nice and people take advantage? And I think if they came and saw what you do at Pearl and Dean, they wouldn't think that for a moment. But I'd love you to share a little bit of some thoughts around and, and some examples of what you do. Um, what do we do? We hire people who are, you know, kind and polite. <laughs> I'm joking. It's that Paddington quote, a quote. If you're kind and polite, the world will be right. Yes. Um, <laughs> we, we hire nice people. We hire people who care about other people because everything in this bill, everything, you know, we, we're a sales house. I don't own cinemas, I don't own anything of nothing. So everything is about our relationships. So our aim is to recruit people and to work with people who are good at building long-term relationships internally, externally, that are, you know, driven by wanting the best long-term relationships. So, you know, we're a sales organisation. It'd be really, really easy to go, I can get to this month's target by doing this deal, which isn't quite what the client thinks it is, but just think I'll get, we'll get our target and I'll get my bonus and it'll be really great. And then you have to rebuild that relationship. And it is, and it is hard. It is hard to turn around and say to a client, I know you want to do that, but we can't do that for you. Or the money that you've got isn't enough, but here's the alternative, you know, et cetera. That's difficult. The, the urge to kind of get a sale at, not at any cost, but to cut corners, but that doesn't build trust and confidence long-term. And we encourage people to be their authentic selves um, and to talk about how work works for them. So you have some people who are, you know, introverted and when they've got a problem, they just like to put their headphones on, listen to soothing music and just, you know, do what they need to do. You've got people like me. I like to have a bit of chit chat with people and say, I'm thinking this, what do you think, and is there a build? Because I'm, as you know, hideously extrovert. And, um, and it's finding that mix. So it's not all one and it's not all other. And everyone knows that if X has got their headphones on, don't go up and tap on the shoulder and decide to have a chat about the football or something like that. Just understand when you're on a good day, this is what you like. When you're on a bad day, that's what you like. This is how I work best. And... Oh, and, and give people the freedom to be themselves, but while being mindful of their impact on other people. So nobody needs to sit and listen to someone's, you know, three-week breakup with a boyfriend, you know, 
we'll we'll support you, but we've got work to do and et cetera, et cetera, and that we'll give you adequate support. But it is the thing about allowing people to be themselves, I think, and and just being caring for each other. Because we're a pack. We've just been in Africa. It's like elephants, isn't it? So the big elephants, when the little elephants come, the big elephants form a little cocoon around the tiny elephant. So the tiny elephant gets to learn at their own pace. And then if one of you is in trouble, all of you are in trouble. So we have one team target. We don't have individual targets. Everybody in this company is invested in the success of this company. So if we have a good sales week, everybody goes home early. When I first joined, just the sales team went home early. So there is this sense of collectivization. And, and everybody knows that, and if, and if you talk about what our goals are, and we openly share those. So if you want to know what the sales team strategy is and you work in finance, it's up on our shared documents. Right. So everyone can see it. Everyone so can. everyone can see it. And no one yeah. thinks that's a bit weird. Similarly, you know, it's, and we have one management meeting on a Monday called Workflow. Everyone talks about what they're doing. Everyone talks about if there's something coming up that they're worried about. Only lasts an hour. Um, and everybody knows what else everyone else is doing. And if someone says, I've got a real pressure point this week. So Thursday and Friday, I'm, so only call me if your hair's on fire. No one can say I didn't know. And it is a bit about letting people say, I'm finding this really difficult. Um, and that's not, and I worry about the, the phrase weakness. Is there weakness? What, what, is, what is strong about running a culture where people can't be themselves? Yes. And what's the thing about, isn't the thing that we've learned that it's not about strength, it's about creativity and adaptability and swift reaction? Yeah. Yes, I, I think you're right. And I think it's interesting, isn't it? You know, we have those charts, strengths and weaknesses. It's yeah. such a terrible word because you're right. You know, actually, the things that we don't do very well or the things that we're struggling with can be made into a strength or they need to be sorted out in a different way. But actually just farming them off as a weakness, is just not helpful to anyone. Well, really. No, it isn't. And also that implication that, Strength is great and weaknesses. Weakness is just a development area, yeah. isn't it? Well, it's either a development area or it's an area to go, do you know what? I'm not going to be any good at that ever. So it doesn't. So really what we need to do is build a team where there's someone else who's really good at that. Yes. Yeah. And I, and I think there's just that whole thing around kind of, um, there's, there's a strong sense of collective responsibility. And you know that if one of your colleagues is having a bit of a difficult time, we'll support. And similarly, you will get the same support. Yeah. yeah. It's not a, you know, and it is very, yeah. But I always, you know, it's the, I've been working here a long time and I was only meant to come here for six months and I'm still really? here nearly 17 years later. 17 years later. Well, yeah. Done. So clearly I'm not a very good completed finisher. Um. <laughs> But I like coming into work and you can you can be who you want to be, you know, and I mean, within reason, as long as you don't upset other people. But, you know, there's no sense of you've got to be this type of person to get on here. If you've got to be that type of person who gets on. We just want people who are going to, you know, try your best and look after clients and each other. 
It's not yeah. hard. Yeah. Well, you know, it's not hard though, is it? But um, you know, and I think you've been relentless. As you said, you've done over 150 presentations around your books to companies that do find this very hard. And particularly, you know, the, the work that you've done around diversity and inclusion. And we've now seen I mean, billions of pounds spent on it. We've got loads of evidence that shows that diversity and inclusion is good. A focus on it makes a difference. But actually, you know, the evidence suggests that it's not as advanced as it should be, bearing in mind perhaps the amount of focus and time and effort people have spent. Um, and I'm interested, I'm, I'm interested because obviously like you, I genuinely believe that inclusive diverse, works, diverse workplaces are more effective and we need to make them work and, and be successful. But also I think there's a potentially interesting parallel with the work that we're doing around linking well-being to performance, where I worry that companies are beginning to do this, but not everyone's going to embrace it. And that there's not going to be a long-term enough of a difference because it's not a priority in the workplace. Yeah. And I think it's down to the same. The two things are kind of linked. I think there's a thing around DNI doesn't work because for some people it's kind of like, um, well, if if we're going to share the pie with more people, then my share of the pie is going to get smaller. And the language we use isn't around how good it will be for people, or there isn't enough talk about you know how good it is for people. So if you if you look at the uh, McKinsey stuff, which is companies with diverse boards are on average nineteen percent you know uh, more revenue generative, you know they're they're quicker to do developments. I mean, there's just so much empirical proof. And instead of going, what's going to happen is we're going to build a bigger, we're going to bake bigger pies. Mm. Won't that be great? Everyone just thinks, well, that means I won't, I'll have to, I won't be able to do so. And so it's going to, it's going to mean a, a reduction in my ability. Actually, it's an enhancement of everything you can do. Because what you can do is you can sit next to someone who's got a completely different way of thinking and a completely different set of skills and can teach you so much about, you know, um, about a different way of thinking. And if you look at, so I am lucky enough um, to be um, the board lead on All In, which is the AA's thing on inclusion. And the ageism in our sector is, I mean, it's literally like when you're 45, they take you out and shoot you because you're past any use. Well, actually people who are 45 understand how to build really great long-term client relationships. They understand that, you know, it is this thing which is, yeah, we've been through a recession before, but it was fine. And this is what we did. And maybe we need to change it to that and da da da. And actually putting those experienced people with younger people who may be more digitally native or 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 do whatever, but put those two together. And that is such a superpower because you've got depth of experience you've got freshness you've got like a, a, a creation of a new idea you know and in a in a sector which talks about you know how tuned we are to audiences the, ma- the vast majority of people in this country are over 45 you know or yeah. you know the people who've got all the money are over 45 so it is that thing which is why are you just getting rid of anybody you might have any understanding you know it's like when it's like when people go, we're launching an anti-aging cream. No, no, no. 
there's no such thing as empty. We are all going to get old. Why don't you do age enhancing? That is a much bigger sell to a woman who's 45 who wakes up with a face looking like a prune rather than, you know, it's just that whole thing of if we're going to really serve the audiences that we say we're going to serve, we yeah. need to have those voices at the table. But it's interesting, isn't it? That whole piece around unconscious bias, which is effectively what it is, is um, it's kind of complicated, but also it feels like every time there are so many things you just don't think about. So to your point, you know, if you're over 55 and you work in our industry, so I mean, one day you and I'll get there. We'll be <laughs> maybe. out. We'll be out. Yeah. Maybe. Well, obviously we were children when we joined. Yes, yeah. of course. Um, yeah. But, you know, just working out what those priorities are and then enabling people to see it. You know, I, I my son, Sam, as you know, yeah. um, he now lives in Scotland and he went for an interview on a brilliant, with for a brilliant company. He didn't get it, but it was a brilliant process for an apprenticeship. Now, he was the only English speaker. Uh, all the other apprentices were Scottish. Yeah. And, and they were fantastic on their inclusion conversations. Fantastic. The only thing was the whole way through, they kept saying to him, well, you speak quite fast. And I yeah. said to Sam at the end, how interesting. Why did they say that? He said, oh, it happens to me all the time, mum. It's because I speak English, not Scottish. Yeah. And I've never, I mean, Sam, he, I speak quite fast, but he doesn't really speak fast. He just has an English accent. So they were brilliant on everything, but I don't think they even reflected on it. And it's a little the same. I, I've seen that myself. You know, Scottish people come and work with me and I'm like, oh, God, I've got to really concentrate to understand what you say. And then, you know, I pull myself together and go, don't be ridiculous. They've got an accent. Just concentrate yeah. and understand them. Um, and it's it's those sort of things I think are difficult, aren't they, in the workplace? Because we don't always understand what the benefits are. Yes. And I think the unconscious bias piece is unconscious. But, you know, you're not doing yes. it deliberately. No. And so what we've got to do is have the ability to say, I don't think you really meant I don't think you really meant to say that. Um, I don't. Yes. I think. Sorry. If I, you know, and, and and the ability to to be kind and realize that. I have a, for example, I have a completely different life journey to, you know, I don't know, Samir, who's, you know, one of my um, lovely team and who's much younger than me and is a young Muslim man and he's very funny and he's very outgoing, et cetera, et cetera. But it is this thing, which is, you know, we had this, we had this whole conversation about he thinks I'm really weird because I've never eaten a Nando's. It's like, KJ, what's wrong with your life? And I'm going... I've never, no one's ever taken me to it. Right, that's what we're doing. We're going to a Nando's. And it's just like this thing of kind of just have that appreciation that it might be Nando's or it might be a lack of understanding about whatever. But just say, I don't know. Tell me. Yeah. And the ability to, and it goes back to that strength thing, doesn't it? About people might take the piss or they might do this or they might do the other. Yeah, they might. But then again, you know, how do you know they're not doing that anyway? Yeah. How do you know that? How do you know that? How do you know that when people say they're working from home? You know, it's all those people who I've, my son's got a friend who's got one of those jobs. And during lockdown, you just had to go in and just type on your, every so often type on your um, computer because it proved that you were working. 
that's not proving you're working. It's yeah. just making people go and type stuff into YouTube or create a nonsense word document, you know, which looks like you're working and it's in fact your shopping list. That's not working. No. So yeah. it exactly. is the thing about always. I mean, look, you can go and sit at your desk and not be. Yeah. yeah. It, it, uh, exactly. I think that creation of trust, but also that desire that people want to be. I've worked with people who go to the pub. They'd have a spare jacket. They'd leave a jacket on the back of their chair and would go to the pub until 3.30 and people would come in and because there was a jacket there, say, oh, he must be in a meeting. He wasn't, he was in the pub. He was just two jackets. You know, he was just a two jacket guy. He wasn't working. He was just with a bunch of other people, you know, and it is this thing about, is it about, is it about outputs or is it about, you know, is it about outcomes or is it about, you know, would I rather people worked for three hours and came up with the best idea possible then looked like they were working for eight hours and just lost the will to live and didn't do it I'd rather have three hours actually because the rest of the time they can do something else and the the strength thing is about we are not invincible I make mistakes you sometimes make mistakes I am not infallible I am human and what you've got to do is have the capacity to turn and go I'm sorry I didn't I didn't handle that as well as I should have or I I'm finding it hard. I'm trying to be empathetic, but I, I, you need to give me more context because I don't know the answer to this. Just help me. Help me a bit. Yeah, yeah. And, and the other thing I, I am asked a lot and I sometimes struggle myself with, when I'm in a meeting and somebody obviously and blatantly says something that's inappropriate, that's pretty straightforward. Hmm. Um, but if they're... If they either, if they say something that's inappropriate or suggest something, but they kind of do it within the context that they are, it probably is unconscious bias, even though it's wrong. Do you shout it out in the meeting or do you go first? What, how do you, how do you deal with all that? You say to them afterwards, look, um, Simon, I know you and I know you haven't got a sexist, racist bone in your body, but some, but when you said that, I think it could have been interpreted like this. So maybe you just need to kind of, and I didn't, I think someone might have heard it that way. No one said that they've heard it that way, but just, you know, maybe, you know, think about your tone or, or, or possibly, or vocabulary, but, you know, I know that you're not like that because the thing that makes people angry about this is that they're made to feel that they're wrong. They're not wrong. Well, sometimes, I mean, if they're deliberately wrong, if they're like out and out fascists, then obviously neither of us would have them in our organisation. And there's something seriously wrong with any organisation that's taking someone like that. But what you do is you make it easy for them to make amends. Yes. Because one of the things that came out in Belonging when we were talking to Mm. male middle-aged CEOs is I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing anything. I'm getting my head of HR to do it because I could lose my job if I say the wrong thing. Yeah, 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 I agree. And I think then the other thing that they they say is, look, I have worked like this for a long time. It's I'm very comfortable with other people. So it particularly happens on kind of creating a vulnerable environment. If they have to be vulnerable themselves, if they're going to talk about well-being a bit more, they're like, do you know what? Great for the organization, but I've never done that. And I don't really want to do it myself. Um, and and so I think that's equally difficult because that's asking them to do something that they 
just haven't done throughout their career. Yeah, but just how dull is your life going to be if you're never going to do anything you've ever you've never done oh, before? I, I don't think they shouldn't. I mean, you know, when they try and then they start the journey, they're the people a bit like. With, oh, they're the biggest so evangelists, they're, aren't they're they? They're the biggest evangelists. You know, yeah. you get people to go, do you know what? If you did do a little bit for your mental health, if you did think about your purpose beyond work, uh, you could make a significant difference. You can change how you see yourself. You can change how your family see yourself completely the biggest evangelist. But why have people fallen in love with this idea of infallible management, that you have to be infallible, you know, that you, you can never make a mistake, you can never, you can never look back and think I should have, you know, we're not, we're just people, know. you know, and, and as soon as you, you know, it's like a car, isn't it? You'd service your car, wouldn't you? Because you wouldn't expect it to be exactly the same when you've had it for five years, as when you get it the day that it comes out the showroom and it's all shiny and new, you wouldn't leave that for five years and go, yeah, I didn't put any oil in or I didn't, I didn't bother looking after the tires or put any, you know, put any um, anti-freezing because frankly, why should I? You just wouldn't. And why do we treat ourselves as these things, which are these fully formed, infallible, you know, colossus bestriding beings just because we've got, COO or CEO or CFO after our names you know it's not it's not a superpower all it is is it's a job title yeah (laughs) yeah actually it's it's, you're completely right it's not a superpower it's just a job title I mean unless I didn't go to the ceremony where I was meant to go and pick did I miss the thing where I was meant to go and pick up that crystal that gave me Damn it! I knew there was something. I, I've, oh, that's what—that's the mistake I've made. Yeah. Definitely. Do you think you and I were just sitting, having a chat, and giggling, and then we missed—we missed—we weren't there when they we weren't there when they handed out. Sorry, Suki, that's my fault. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you, sorry. Making me laugh. You see, at least I'm admitting I made a mistake, and <laughs> it was my fault that you didn't go and get your superpower crystal. <laughs> but it is interesting, isn't it? I wonder when when it really happened because uh, and I guess it probably has been in our business lifetime that leaders had to be super infallible because and and maybe it's partly to do with social media and us just knowing a bit more about what they do so as we see and scrutinize they have felt that they've needed to become I don't know more uh, kind of more important more more guarded more guarded yeah maybe I don't know interesting isn't it yeah um, hmm. so so now we've sorted that out and worked out why we don't have yeah, a superpower that's what we've been going wrong so it's yeah. not power <laughs> yeah you see there I was you see I thought what I'd done here as assembled the business equivalent is Karen Black always puts it of Avengers Assemble which is yes. you don't need loads and loads of incredible hulks what you need is a mix so that's yeah. what you do. You should think of your team like Avengers Assemble. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So instead of strength and weaknesses, it's like, what's, you know, what power don't we have? Yeah. 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 I've got lots of powers that I don't have. Yeah. <laughs> I've got lots of people around me who have got them, though, luckily. So it's yeah, well, precisely. So you've got your own Avengers Assemble. Can't be good at everything. No, 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 quite. Um, so I want to just then just touch on from that because you do have a sort of Avengers Assemble at Pearl and Dean and we did a bit of work with you earlier on in the year with your team 
um, partly because you come out of lockdown and you know there are few industries that were hit as badly as the cinema industry I guess um, so it was tough and would you tell us tell us a little bit about why you did the seven needs test workshop and, and what it was like uh, we did it because we hadn't worked properly as an organisation for over 15 months. So we had no money. It was, we were shut down. And there was a little band of us. So when we went, you know, no one knew what was going to happen with lockdown. And uh, so we kind of went into it thinking, oh, you know, it'll all be over in two months. And it just went on and on and on. And then it became fairly obvious that it was kind of going to be seismic. So all of the senior management team without, we had this discussion about how we're going to look after our people. So we all took a 40% pay cut for 15 months because none of us could bear the thought of going, yeah, what I'm going to do is even though I'm not spending any money, I'm sitting at home doing endless Zoom calls. But what I'm going to do is make a 22-year-old recent grad redundant uh, so that I can enjoy more of my salary and chuck them onto the uh, unemployment thing during... um, during lockdown, during one of the most <laughs> seismic events of the 20th century, we're going to do that. So that's, you know, not, it's not the people we are. And all of, and and so what we did was we did all the social stuff as well. You know, we looked after people when you could go to people's houses. Every other Wednesday, people could come to my house for a cup of tea hang out with my dogs. We gave people money so that we did a little postcode thing so you could meet up with people from work. Uh, We did little ring rounds. And it was just that thing where we just looked after each other a bit. And even if it was, even if you couldn't come into my house, you could come and stand outside. And, you know, I did that with my colleague, Laura, who lives around the corner from me. You know, we did different things. So we did all of that. And then I was thinking about it today, actually. September was when we first fully opened up our office and we just said, just drop him, you know, because you haven't been to the office for quite a long time. It's quite nice. You know, we've got a good coffee machine. It's all very lovely. Um, Come in. It's no pressure. But we said, but when we come back in October, when all the furlough scheme ends, we're coming back in five days a week, core hours 10.30 to 4.30, because we haven't been together. And we need that kinetic power of all, of all of us in a room, being with each other, just to be with the awesome gang. Yes. And everyone else was saying, yeah, but other people, you know, they're not coming in. It's like, yeah, I know, but they're not us. Yeah. You know, yeah. and we're us. And it was the best thing we did. And then Let's Reset was part of that. Yeah. Because Let's Reset was an essential part of that because what it did was it encouraged people to have conversations about themselves in a structured but supportive way about where they were. And then to think about, because it is that thing which is you've been through that really, really bruising time and it's, and it's really easy to go, oh, that's that then. That's had no effect. And this is me and I'm shiny and new and fabulous and infallible and, and look at me. Mm. Thinking that you're like that, but maybe not understanding there's another colleague who isn't like that or who's had a very difficult time, et cetera. And what it encouraged was people to look at themselves and just... It's, it's like that thing, isn't it? See, when you say to people, how are you? People come fine. Go, yeah, no, but you're not. Are, are you really? People yeah. go, no, I'm not. But, you know, you don't want to hear about my problems. No, no, actually I do. Um, and, and rather than it turn into that, what Let's Reset gave us was a structure to think about yourself, 
to think about your colleagues, to to just tune into the forces of the universe. Do you know what I mean? That's because it did make you think, well, how am I feeling about that? What am I doing? What's what does this mean to me? And you know that you had feedback where one of my teams said, I've started changing the way that I do things already. And that was the day after. Yeah. Um, and it, it just made them feel that they were, I know it's a funny thing to say, but you feel that you're important within the structure of the organization because people are listening to you. Yes, yes, yes. And even, I think, well, the other bit I liked was even in your environment where, you, as you said, you have a really open and collaborative workspace. You found out about some of your people. Yes. You just didn't know. Yeah. Which was helpful. I mean, not just like, yeah. oh, that's interesting fact. I never knew that. No, no, that. no. It was, it was, it was, to their yeah, it was one of our trainees who is, you know, quite introverted. And it was, oh, wow, I didn't know that about you. That's really great. And then the interesting, you know, but when are you ever going to turn and say, oh, I play the piano and the flute outside? It just never happens. No one ever comes up and goes, do you play a musical instrument outside of work? Just don't. So it allowed, it allowed Tiff to talk about what she did outside of work. And that, that just opened up a whole different side to her. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, so it is that thing about, it just, it lets you hold the mirror. It, it lets you hold the best type of mirror up to yourself where you can go, oh, that could be a little bit, oh, but I know what I need to do now. Yeah, you know, it was it was a lovely time to kind of do that. Mm, mm. And what was your score, Catherine? Do you remember? I can't remember what my score was. My oh, score what? this morning was my score this morning was sixty three. Oh wow! Well, I think that's pretty good. Yeah, that's it's pretty good. good. Yeah. What were yeah. your What was your highest score areas? What were you particularly? What are you very strong on at the moment? And and, and has that improved? Do you think since the beginning of the year? Uh. It was all nines. I don't know. I've got nines and tens in there. As you know, my weakest one was, you know, eating properly, sleeping and exercising. So, which is always, you you know, my thing. Have you improved any of that? Well, I am, I do walk to most of my meetings. Good. um, Now, but um, I have, no, I haven't, Suki. It's shameful. I do do yoga once a week. Um, I should probably do more. But I just don't. Well, and, you fit, yeah. but you do fit anyway a lot of things in your life, don't you? How do yes. you, as a leader, you know, do what you do at Poe and Dean, sit on all the other boards of things that you do and make all this significant change in the industry in a relentless way? How do you prioritise? Uh, you do what's important rather than what's urgent. And you have a day book where you write down all the things you'd really like to do. And then on the, ne- the next page, you write down the things, you write down all the things you have to do, and then you write down all the things you didn't, you, you'd quite like to do. And then on a page way, way away, you write down all the things you'll do if, you know, no one ever phones you and you're trapped in a room on your own. Because the thing about it is, is anybody who turns around and goes, uh, yeah, Suki, this is, my, uh, this is my to-do list, and it's a page of A4, you are setting yourself up to fail. Yes. And then what you do is you then go back and go, oh, God, I didn't, Suki, I didn't do that. It was like... 11th and I really meant to do it do what you need to do and also have a focus so you know no meeting internally here is longer than an hour unless it's a budgeting meeting right. and everyone you know that's it and it's it is about the fact of 
you know, it's the openness thing, which is everyone knows what we're trying to do here. Everyone knows, you know, the three pillars of our business are our people, our product and our process. That's it. That's our focus. Yeah. And if it doesn't fit, fit into any of that, so if it's about our people being able to perform at their best and us looking after them and them getting the most they can out of what they do, right? If it's about the products, is it, you know, what are we selling to clients? What's next that we could sell to clients that clients would like rather than we've just made up in a room on our own and are forcing down their throats? And process facilitates the other two, which is your organization should be led by your people and your product. And the process is the oil that makes that work rather yeah. than when people go, we're just going to do an, a two-year analysis of process. No, just ask people what gets in the way. Is it the fact they have to triple sign in on a Monday morning to their computers because apparently they might have been taken over by another being over the weekend? Over the weekend Get yeah. rid of that because it really – and it's those tiny things that really pee people off. Yes. Yeah. You know, um, so all of that, do a bit of that. And, and in meetings saying, so the purpose of this meeting is this. The issues we face now are this. What we need to get out of this meeting is that. And then when you get to the end of the meeting, say, have we found a solution? Or is everyone clear what we do next to sort that out? Yes. And I am very, I mean, for someone who goes off at a tangent quite a lot when they talk, as you know, um, it is, it's that. Yes, super focused on outcomes. And I do think, oh, that whole piece of meeting discipline has gone out the window for so many businesses, so many companies. It's such a waste of time. Yeah. When I, yeah, when I, when I did my Let's Reset book, one of the pictures was the FOMO, which was the fear of missing out. And the whole point of that was don't go to every single meeting anymore in the workplace you're not going to miss out on something unbelievably urgent probably if you don't turn up and if you don't have a voice and choice definitely don't be there and now we've seen all the research says we now go to twice as many meetings as we did before covid yeah and, and we have no time for anything else and, and nobody seems to have been really addressing it but that kind of behavior but um, it's easier to have a meeting now because you can do it online yeah well, Before you, it would have been, CQ, yeah. where should we meet? Should we sit and say, no, I can't get there for them because da 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 da. Now, because you can do it online, you know, it's the great Stevie Spring line, which is just because you can doesn't mean you should, you know. True. Yes. Why would you? Completely. Completely. Absolutely. And there's so many meetings that could be solved yeah. with people just going, this is a document about where I, where I think we're going. Can everybody tell me if they think that's the great direction? Yes. Fantastic. I'm going to action that rather than having a two and a half hour meeting where nothing gets achieved. Yeah, exactly. And then a meeting is the next mm. meeting, progress the last meeting. I mm. agree. I or agree. having a meeting to agree the agenda for the meeting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that literally brings me out in hives. Yeah, and me, and me. Um, so what have you done in terms of hybrid working? Are you now still all back five days a week? Oh, no, 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 no. So we went five days. So we got the gang back together. Uh, and shared the love and we did five days then on in November and December we did four and one I mean remember we'd made no money for 15 months we were yes. we, had a lot, we had a lot of money we had a lot of stuff to do yeah. um and then since January we've done three and two okay three in the office three in two out but if it's not working for you and if you need to go actually I've got this thing of this beast of a project and I can't be here just say I'm not going to be here. Yeah, yeah. We've got some people who come in five days a week. 
because it suits them and it gives them a structure and they like it. So it's horses for courses, you know. But yeah. it's interesting, isn't it? Because again, you know, lots of conversations that we're having are around companies that either can't get their staff back in and really want to, or they or they can't get the culture right again, or people feel, you know, I'm not sure that people always know what's good for them. Well, we know that. <laughs> no, of course I don't. I mean, you know, you should actually concentrate on your sleep a bit more. And you do I know. the exercise and a bit of mental health work would 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 help you a little bit more now probably wouldn't help you be any more effective because you're unbelievably focused and dynamic (laughs) anyway it might just get you to have a slightly easier life in the future but you know that's not that you don't know and I and I do think for my observation is we're seeing lots of people who aren't going to the office actually would benefit and I love the Malcolm Gladwell's quote which is it's hard to feel necessary when you are physically disconnected yeah and and also but it why not make it that it's a thing which is you know hey you know we've said (laughs) we've been to organizations to do pizza and trailers for organizations because it's the only way they're going to get people in because they get to watch half an hour of film trailers and we give them free pizza I was literally like, could you come in every week? Well, we haven't got that many trailers, but, you know, I could do songs from the shows. I mean, it is the thing which is you've got to give people a reason to come in. And it isn't just you can go to four one-hour meetings that you could possibly do on Zoom in your, you know. It has to be something that is, you know, it's got to be something that is outer-directed. So is it, what are we going to do with our CSR efforts next year? How could we incorporate volunteering Put them on. Put people on a committee that's going to do something for the, oh, the organisation. Absolutely, that's what we've done. Lots with our seven need test yeah. workshop has been yeah. used as part of getting people back to the office, having a different conversation, not just let's do more of the same and see if we can get a different outcome. Let's do more of the same, but in a different geographic area on a really, really crowded train that you don't really want to go on anyway. But but it's the other thing as as well, Suki, which is, you know, you and I have talked about this before, which is people talk about culture and it's having, culture is not having two ping pong tables that's just dominated by eight men who work in IT or having free pizza or bringing donuts in on people's birthdays. Culture is about what you do every day. Yeah. And, and the other thing as well is if you're working from home, there might be a colleague who really needs you to be the person that they turn to at the in person at the end of a meeting and says, Suki, I think I said the wrong thing to David. What do you think? Because if if you and I were on a Zoom together and I was having a, oh my God, Suki, I've just realized I think I might have called David a moron. If I'm trying to get to you now and you're going straight into another Zoom meeting, by the time I get to you, it might be six o'clock, by which time I've written out my resignation because I think, because I've done the wrong thing. Never underestimate the support and power you give to the people around you by just being there as a sounding board or as someone who you can just look up to when you know and go yeah 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 absolutely what am I doing what's happening yeah Yeah. you know holding up a card that just says Suki the clients just asked me to get George Clooney to go go to the opening of their child's Christmas gala. <laughs> yeah, what should we do about that? <laughs> clients just have, yeah, clients just have the budget. Wants to, do the same. you know, it's all that kind of thing. Just having someone. 
that you can just and and the power of the the power of the pack is not to be underestimated. The power of a strong pack is not to be underestimated. Yeah, because no. you can go in feeling like cack, and someone will go, "Oh, nice new dress, Suki. I really like that color on you." You go, "Okay, okay, I'm feeling good." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah quite absolutely. Um, oh, look, we're running out of time. I could talk to you for ages because I love talking to you. But um, I'm interested in how you see yourself. You know, you are you are one of the most experienced leaders that we've got in our industry. You've made such a difference to it. You have an OBE because of some of the work that you've done. Um, if I said to you, and you were answering yourself, who am I, Catherine? How would you answer that? Who am I? Oh, goodness. Uh, I'm a wife and mother, mm. owner of dogs, <laughs> uh, writer of books, good friend. Uh, try to be a good boss uh, try and make a difference that's who I am yeah I think oh, I, I, I Sue Uniman go you're a badass you're a badass I'm, I'm Sue I'm, I'm Sue Uniman's wing woman as well yeah that's what yeah I'm lots of things I'm different things on different days I'm not one thing that's the great thing about being human is you can turn up one day and be, you know, Suki Thompson, Cornish goddess. Then you can turn up the next day and be Suki Thompson, you know, woman who's trying to change the world of work. You can be both. It's not a binary choice. And you can choose to dial things up and dial things down depending on, you know, you are. And also, I'm not really sure I'm one of the most, you know, I'm not, I have been in the business for a long time. I'm not, one of my, I'm not sure I'm, I'm really market leading, but I'm trying to make, I'm chipping away at the marble. Well, I think you do. You know, let's let's not, all, as you know, let's all not get ahead of ourselves, as my <laughs> granny was saying. Not get ahead of ourselves. Well, I think do you know what you're chipping away at the, the marble courageously, and you are making a difference. You know, I was even looking at some of the interviews you've done, even three or four years ago. Actually, the change that we've had in the industry um, does feel like it is speeding up a bit. It has been rather glacial, but we are we are getting better. Um, and, and certainly I think, you know, the kind of books you've read, the way that you lead your business, the difference that you make, and you, you are a noticeably and very open leader that puts into practice a lot of the things that you talk about. So I think that's, it's fantastic because people can see that you're not just a lot of rhetoric. You actually walk the talk. So Catherine, thank you so much. for talking Thank to you, me. Suki. And I'll go and try and get that superpower crystal for you. Yeah. See if they've got one left over. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank Thank you, you, my love. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed Reset the Podcast, I'd love it if you would forward it to your work colleagues, friends and family. Reset the Podcast is a Let's Reset and Advertising Week global production. Executive producer is Richard Larson, with me, Suki Thompson. Thanks to our sponsor, Liars Non-Alcoholic Spirits and voiceover artist, Talitha Penny. Music provided by Audio Network.